They saw what happened. It was over. Maybe we're misled. So disillusioned were the disciples that they ran for their lives. They didn't stay with him. And even teenage girls intimidated those guys. They went back fishing. What was that about? They heard all the teaching. All the messages, all the sermons they heard, they heard them. They abandoned him. Feel that for a minute. And then, with no more messages, no more speeches, no nothing, something changed everything. And that was saw the resurrection they saw him now I don't care what you do to me now they said take me I've seen what I've seen nothing will stop me and from that today billions of people billions have had their lives changed because of what Jesus Christ did. Not because of even his teachings, but because of what happened, what he did. Interesting. The sermons didn't sometimes help. That sounds a little heretical. What did help was when they saw him resurrected. If you're here for the first time at New Hope, we want to say welcome. We're glad that you came today, and you may want to just follow along on the outline. Now, I don't know about you over this... Easter weekend, but I know a lot of people on Friday were wishing for, it wouldn't rain, it would stop raining. Anybody was wishing that on about Friday? <laughs> it was pouring down, or a little less traffic. Some people here today, if I was to ask you, what are you wishing for at Easter? Some of you are wishing for a better health diagnosis or prognosis. Some of you here are wishing for better relationships. Some of you sitting in this room are wishing you could get married. Some of you were wishing that the marriage you're in would improve radically. Some of you are wishing today that the pain that you feel would stop. But if you were to ask the Apostle Paul what would his wish be, something unusual, and this is where we're going to start this morning. He says this. He would say, I wish that you would know Christ. That's what. Nothing else. Not that your bills or your problems would go away. No. That you would know Christ. Would have a richer experience of him. Not the theory. The experience. And to know the power of his resurrection. Or to experience the power that raised Christ from the dead. This is what Christianity is all about. But also notice, because of that, and also the fellowship of sharing his sufferings, or to participate in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of righteousness, becoming like him in his death. 
In other words, to be conformed to the death of Christ or to experience the same self-emptying described of Jesus. The more you become a follower of Jesus, the more self-emptying of your desires, or those desires will be surrendered to him. So why would Paul say anything like that? Or what would anybody say? Well, you know, of all the things I could wish for, I wish that you would know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship to share and the fellowship of his sufferings and to become like him in death. Why would anybody say that? Sounds a bit like weird, doesn't it? I mean, far out. But he obviously knew something that maybe we don't. Now, I want to say something to you this morning very succinctly. Most of your problems in life and my problems in life come from not understanding how much God loves you and me. I'll tell you what, when you don't really understand that, it causes things like worry and anxiety and guilt and insecurity. And this Easter, you need to know, this Easter, how much God loves you, really loves you. And then, by the way, how can I know this for sure? And that's what we're going to look at. So this morning, I'm going to give you six proofs that God loves you. But I want to summarize them all before I start by saying this. God loves you, my friend, more than you will ever, ever know. So how do I know God loves me? Number one. Base point number one, take this home today. I know God loves me because he made me. Psalm 145 says the Lord is loving to all he has made. Now God doesn't play favorites. Did you hear that? He does not play favorites. Even in the Old Testament, the Ninevites, who were a heathen bunch, when they repented, God blessed them. That's the biggest revival in the whole of the Old Testament. He doesn't play favorites. He loves you. God has never made a person he didn't love, ever. And God is like a father, the Bible says in Psalm 103, verse 13, verse 14. God is like a father. How is this perfect father? He is tender and sympathetic. And he knows, but we are just. Circle in in that passage there, father. It doesn't say God is like a policeman trying to you on everything where you offend. It says God is like a perfect father who cares deeply about you. See, we were created to have a family relationship, not a religion. Did you notice that Jesus saved his harshest words for the religious professionals? Did you notice that? Because it gets in the way of a relationship. Rules and regulations and rituals. Now the question is this. How many of you really thought before you had kids, and I've had four, oh my wife's had four, I've helped in the process. But how many of you really thought before you had kids that your kids were going to be perfect? Did anybody suffer that delusion? If you did, you will be in for what I would term a rude awakening. (laughs) You see, but when God created you, 
He already knew because he is outside of time, every sin you would commit, every wrong decision that you would make, every dumb thing that you and I would do, every hurtful thing we would do, every hateful thing, and he still went ahead and made you. Now, as parents, we want children because we want to bestow our love on our children. But kids are messy, right? Kids, or babies, babies burp, sick up on you. They poop their pants. You know, they drool, they break things. And when they get older, oh, dear Lord, they consume a ton of food. And resources. My kids would drink 21 liters of milk a week. And they use their cars. And those kids make us worry. They give us cause for concern. Anybody getting this? Our kids get in trouble. And our kids make decisions often that we don't agree with. But we still love them. Now what is that? Are we crazy? We don't agree with, but we still love them. No, we are parents who love our kids. And the Bible says that you are made to be loved by God. Even knowing the things you and I were going to do in advance, God said, I'm still going to create them because I want to bestow my love on them and I want to love them. So you were made to be an object of God's love, just like this little lass here. It's my granddaughter, one of them, Eva. She was made, and God is so full of love. He said, I'm going to create people so I can have a relationship with them. He wants to be like a father, not a policeman. And for some of you today, that is a new revelation. He wants to be your perfect heavenly father. Number two, the second is I know that God loves me because he notices every detail of my life. The Bible says God knows how many hairs are on your head. And that's not very hard for you, Elliot, or some other. <laughs> okay. But he loves you so completely, he's interested in every part of your life. I used to think when I was a young Christian, well, God's really uninterested when I'm reading the Bible or when I'm praying or when I'm coming to church or to my small group. That's when he's really interested in my life. When I did something spiritual. But no, God is intimately interested in the details of your life. He's interested when you're happy. He's also very interested when you are sad. He's interested in you when you make that sale and you go, yes, I got it. And he's also interested when you didn't make it and you lose a sale. I know how that feels. He's interested when you're down and when you're depressed and you're discouraged. Why? Because he made you just like a father. He's interested in the details of your life. Now, as a parent, I am very interested in the details in my four older kids' lives. I'm interested in all the details of what they're doing with their spouses, what they're doing with their children, my grandchildren, what they're doing with their businesses, what they're doing with their sports. Now, when you're interested in the details, it shows your love. And some of you are going through a tough time right now, and whatever that tough time is, 
God is aware of that. I want you to know that. And he wants you in that tough time to remember this verse. And some of you, please don't let this verse go by without taking particular attention to it. It's one that you should commit to memory eventually. Here it is here, 1 Peter 5, 7. It says, when you go into that time, cast all your anxiety on him. Another version says, cast all your care on him, for he cares for you. It's a great verse. Take out the old worry app, which every time you operate it, it worries, throw that out and put this one in. Cast all your care on him, for he cares for you. He cares about that problem at work. That awkward situation in your marriage. The problem at school. He cares about your financial problem. Or that physical problem. Or that mental problem where you're just stressing out and your mind's racing all the time. And that supposed friend problem. He cares and he's aware because he loves you deeply. And I want you to take this home and put it on your refrigerator. So when you get discouraged and you're having a tough day and you're stressing out, you can remember these reasons why God loves you. The third one is I know God loves me because he gave me the capacity for pleasure. Pleasure. God gave you eyes when he made you. He made them so, and then he filled the world with beautiful color. Why? Just for your pleasure. What's the purpose of color? God could have made the whole world look like Palmerston North, gray. <laughs> I lived there for three years. Do not recommend it. You need a call from the archangel Gabriel to go there. But instead, he made this beautiful world with beautiful blue ocean and white clouds and red powder cows and green trees. And vistas and sunsets and sunrises. And God designed all that beauty for your enjoyment. And he created you with the capacity to enjoy his creation. Now God also gave you a pair of ears, for example. And he created a world full of many different sounds that are pleasing. And we call that music. Sometimes I just enjoy hearing crickets. I get a perverse sense of pleasure sometimes. Sometimes I enjoy hearing a lawnmower. Somebody's working. That's good. <laughs> he could have made everything one sound. And you just hear one sound. But instead, he gave you all this rich plethora of beautiful sounds and your ability to hear them just because he wanted you to enjoy the richness of his love. And then, mm, I like this, God created taste buds. And he filled the world with flavors like cinnamon rolls, <laughs> homemade ice cream, and barbecue ribs. Now, he could have made this like cars that just run on petrol or eat grass. I sometimes feel sorry for the cows. I used to work on a farm. Oh, boy, grass for dinner, grass for breakfast, grass at supper time. <laughs> Not good. But he didn't. He created you with taste buds to enjoy all these flavors. Why? 1 Timothy 6.17 says, God richly, not stingily, not begrudgingly, not miserly like, he richly provides everything for our enjoyment. 
this is your heavenly father. Amazing. Circle enjoyment. Now, the reason why I've drawn on this one today is I want to explode one of the greatest myths about Christianity. It goes like this. If I commit my life to Christ, I'm going to be miserable for the rest of my life. The fact is, the world has sold us a lie. It's exchanged the truth of God for a lie. That's what it's done. And the world has told you that to be good means to be miserable. It means to be discontented. And conversely, to be mad means to have fun. Now, most people are looking to, for fun in all the wrong places. And one of the most miserable places I have noticed in the world to be is a singles bar. Many of these people are all pretending to have a great time. But deep in their hearts, they are terribly lonely and looking in the wrong places. I know that. I didn't know what the word contentment was or the word security and unshakable love until I discovered that God had made me and I began living the plan that he'd made for me. Since then, my outlook on life, especially on the future, the sadness from the past went. I had a sense of purpose for living and had an optimistic view of the future when Christ came into my life because it made sense. The Bible says when you follow God's plan for your life, then your life will start to make sense. And you stop looking for cheap thrills to turn you on. And in the past, you may have thought of, as one of my brothers did, well, I'll just take all the drugs that I want. Or I'll get drunk when I want to get drunk. Or I'll mess around immorally with those who I want to mess around with. Or I'll lie and cheat when it suits me. The change that Jesus brings to your life and my life is he changes those desires for those things where I don't want to do those things anymore. It's not, don't do this and don't do that. Oh, I shouldn't be thinking that. The desire goes, which is neat. It's a heart transplant. There's a change that happens to your autopilot before it used to go after this. But somebody changes, that's the Holy Spirit. He comes into your life and he changes your autopilot to send you in another direction. Now, when you become a Christian, Jesus Christ changes those desires from the inside out. Those thing, other things are cheap, plastic, artificial sweetness, and they don't last. No longer do they have the pull on our lives when we give our hearts to Christ. Now, God's love is shown when you created me with the capacity for pleasure. Number four, I know God loves me because he has good plans for my life. Good plans for my life. Unbelievably good plans. Not just for the 70 or 80 years here, but way on. Because you were made to live forever. Not just this very brief time on terra firma here. The Bible says I have good plans for you. Not plans to hurt you. I will give you hope and a real future. Now God knows what will make you happy, friend, far more than you do. He ought to know. He's a creator. So he wrote the owner's manual. The problem is... What we think will make us happy is often different to what God knows will make us happy. And we foolishly get ourselves in trouble when we follow our own instincts rather than what God says. And then we battle all kinds of harmful, negative emotions that can paralyze us like worry, like guilt, like anxiety, like fear, like bitterness, resentment, and depression. 
and discouragement and insecurity and all of that stuff. Now at Easter, the Bible implores us to realize you matter to God deeply. And God has a good plan for your life. Trust him. Even a thousand years ago, he knew that you'd be sitting in your exact seat. So he could get you still enough to tell you, you are no accent. I planned you for a purpose. And you'd be missing it. And then you're wondering why things don't work out. Because you're not following the way I made you to follow. The Bible says that, and this is sometimes a very misquoted verse. It is used. You need to, whenever you see a verse, always read before it and after it to get it in context. So you make it sure that you're not twisting it. Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and to live it to all its fullness. This is not a promise of eternal health, eternal wealth, or easy living by the world's standards. That's a corruption of the text. It's talking about the blessing of salvation. Now, Jesus didn't come to give a religion. He came to bring reconciliation between God and man so that you could get to know him. And that's why we celebrate Easter. God came to earth in a human form. And he gave himself so you could get to know God, what he's like. And until you follow God's plan for your life, you're not living, you're just existing. You get up in the morning, you go to work, go through the traffic, you get to come home, get to bed, watch TV, and get to parties in the weekend, repeat the same. That is not living, that is existing. And you'll only exist until you know God's plan for your life, which will change your orientation of what's important in this world. Number five, and finally, I know God loves me because he sent Christ to die for me. This is the ultimate proof. No greater love is any man. Then he laid down his life for another. The ultimate proof. This is why we celebrate Easter. God always has had a purpose and a plan. And by the way, he knew about that because he's outside of time before the whole earth was formed. Romans 5.8 says, God proves his love in that How? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. It says he cares. The ultimate proof. I know I don't know how many people that you know would die for you. I don't know how many people would die for me. But the Bible says this, that even while we didn't know God, while we were rejecting God, he sent his son to pay the penalty, pay the bill that we'd run up. And all the things I've done wrong, God said, they've already been paid for. So when you go to heaven and you stand before God and he says, why should I let you in? You've got basically two options. Number one, option A is, well, I paid for all of my sins. You could say, I'm going to pay the bill myself problem is you don't have enough credit to do that. Or you can say, I, I accept what Jesus did to pay for my sins. I accept his payment on my behalf. Only two choices really there. Now you and I don't stand a chance on plan A. Plan B is the purpose of Easter, when Christ came to die for us. Now if you've ever wondered, Jesus, how much do you love me? Many people think that. 
I wonder that. He says, this is how much I love you. I love you so much it hurts. And that is the ultimate expression of God's love and what Easter is all about. So, God knows God loves me. I know God loves me because he forgives me when I ask him. Now, I've discovered one of the number one reasons why people don't get to know God closely is something called guilt. Uh, I don't know whether you recall back in the playground when you were a little kid. Sometimes you'd steer clear of getting to know people that you didn't think liked you. You you know, you're sort of like, do you know what I'm saying? If you didn't think they liked you, kind of keep your distance from them. And so you'd stay away from them. And now many people stay away from God because they wrongly think God doesn't like them because they know they are guilty. And God says, I know your sin. I know your guilt. And that is why Jesus came to wipe that away. So he says, I'll forgive you. Now, maybe you felt I couldn't have a relationship with God because all of the things that I've done wrong, and that's the thing that gets between you and, and, and connecting with God. And maybe you thought you've never, you could never be forgiven. But the proof that you can be forgiven is Easter. Easter proves that. Yes, all have sinned. I've never met a person. Well, I actually heard of a person, as we know. But I, I have never personally met a person who says they're perfect. I don't measure up to even my own standards. I'm disappointed in myself, let alone God's. Now, I don't have any problem with that first part. All have sinned. I've blown it. I've made mistakes. I've sinned, so have you. Yet now, God declares us not guilty if, if we trust in Jesus, who freely takes away our sins. So what's keeping you from a close relationship with God? Because he says, give that sin to me and I'll pay the bill. Why not this Easter come to him? With all the things that you've done wrong, what's going to God say to you? I'll tell you what he's going to say to you right here. It says there, with a deep love, I will take you back. As we wrap this up, the Bible says, talks about Actually, Jesus tells a story of a father who had a son who was a scallywag. This son asked for a very large portion, half of the portion of his dad's inheritance, of his earnings. And then he beggared off with it. Now, I want you to realize a couple of things about this parable. Number one, the father loved the son whilst he was at home. The father loved the son after he left The father loved the son even though he was blowing it with wild living and women and spending, wasting his inheritance. The father still loved him. Didn't like what he was doing, didn't agree with that, but he still loved him. And the father also loved him when he came back. Point. There has never been a time when God has not loved you. There's never been a time when God stopped loving you. He's never loved you more than he does right now, and he's never loved you any less, because his love is not dependent upon your performance. It is dependent upon his character, which is unchangeable.
Not like humans. We get offended. God doesn't. He's far more mature than we are. So his love is not based on your performance. So he says to you, come home, and with a deep love, I will take you back. If I had an Easter wish this year, it will be, it will be that you would understand how much God really loves you. There's this verse, I pray, that your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. And may you be able to feel and to understand. Both are important, by the way. Both are important. I can know my wife loves me and I can feel it. I need, I need both. How long and how wide and how deep and how high his love really is. And to experience this love for yourself. You may have heard somebody else's experiences, but what about you today? Circle those four words. How long, how wide, how deep and how high. What does that really mean? Well, God's love is wide. Wide enough to include everybody. doesn't matter who you are, what you've done or where you've been. God loves you. Second, it's long enough to last forever. Now that's the problem with human love. Well, the human love doesn't. It puts out, it runs out, runs dry. And that's the reason why we have many divorces today. Human love can dry up, but it takes much more than human love to make a marriage last. God's love is also high, high enough to be everywhere. You'll never go anywhere that God doesn't love you. And you'll never be separated from his true love if you accept it. And it's deep enough to meet your deepest needs, your deepest despair. That's when I met the Lord, in my point of deepest despair. Some of you are in the pit now. You're in the emotional pits. Or maybe you're in the financial pits or the relational pits. Some of you today are still waiting for test results to come back. Some of you are scared to death that you're going to go bankrupt. Some of you are fighting in your home right now. And you need God's love through Christ in your life because he is the one that can make the difference. So these four dimensions, high, wide, long, and deep, are the four dimensions of the cross. And that's what God's love is all about. It's the ultimate expression of love is on this cross. So why not come and say to God, just as you are, God, if you are there, I sure would love to know that and get to know you. And I need your help. Now, Jesus died at Easter and rose again to offer you the ultimate help, not just down here, but forever. And God loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you, to save you from far more than just mere earthly trials. Look, if your life was tough down here, and some are, some are. Friend, compared to eternity, it's a gnat's whisker. It's nothing. We need to keep that in perspective. Otherwise, we lose perspective, and this becomes all there is. So Jesus made it so simple. Nobody can say it's too hard to understand. Build a base for your life. Think, think about it this way. I'll put it on your outline there. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me and showed that he was God by coming back to life. And again, about two billion people around the world will celebrate that today. A, 
I accept God's free offer of forgiveness for my sins. Say, God, I admit it. I've blown it. Please forgive me and accept his forgiveness. Yes, I switch to God's plan for my life. From now on, God, I want to do what you want me to do with my life, not what I want to do. Because you made me for a purpose. Whatever that purpose is, I want to get on with that. And then E, I express my desire for Christ to be the director of my life. What that really means is sometimes you'll go through the middle of Howick and you'll see a shop all boarded up. It's all painted. And then there's a, there's a thing that goes across the front of the window. It says, under new management. That's what happens when Christ comes into your life. Before, you were the manager. Now you say, Christ is the manager of my life. If you're willing to do that, to let Christ be the manager of your life, the director of your life. In medieval England, they call it the Lord of my life. But we know what a managing director is. The one who calls the shots. Would you pray with me? Let's bow our heads. If you're willing to take these four steps, B-A-S-E, just pray this prayer in your heart. and You don't have to say it out loud. God hears you. He knows what you're thinking. Say in your mind, say, Dear God, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die for my sins so that I could be forgiven. I'm sorry for my sins, Lord. And I want to live the rest of my life the way you want me to. Please put your spirit in my life to direct me, to counsel me, and to live the rest of my life the way that you want me to.